So I'm sure when you look at me, there's a lot of things that come to mind, and one of those is likely pure, raw, athletic talent, right? <laughs> and, and it makes sense. It makes sense. Um, because uh, truth be told, I, I played football when I was in high school, or, or I, I should be fair and say that I was on the football team, okay? Um, I, was, I, had, I had a friend once tell me that I was fundamentally sound at best. I didn't quite know how to take that in the moment, but it makes sense now. But um, I, uh, I was kind of a scrawny football player, and it didn't help that I went to a big high school uh, with, uh, with lots of guys much larger than myself. I'm not here to give excuses, just speaking the facts. Um, some might say that I was a bench warmer. That's not true either, okay? Because the bench, see, when you play football, the bench is reserved for the players that actually play to give them rest in between series. So while the offense is on the field, the defense is sitting on the benches to game plan and get their, their stuff together, okay? My role, my role on the team was not drink the good player's water and dress as warm as I possibly could considering, you know, that time of year that it was, right? And so if, if you've ever played on any team whether that be football, whether that be basketball, softball, you name it, it doesn't take you very long to identify the talent on the team, right? You, you just take one look around and you're able to identify, okay, he's got it together, she's got it together. And there's parts of you that wishes, man, if I could just, if I, if I just had his speed or if I had his height, if I had their size, if I, if I had kind of anticipation that she does, if I could hit like she did, we, we'd all tend to think that we would be much better right, that we would be much more successful if we only had that kind of talent, then we would be unstoppable, right? We, we believe that about ourselves. And uh, we've also seen people on teams, especially the, the higher level that you get, we've played with people who, who are so incredibly talented, but for whatever reason, they lack the discipline to be great at it. They lack the work ethic to really hone that skill and take it to the next level. Um, I played with guys that I thought could easily have played at the collegiate level, but for whatever reason, they just didn't have that drive. They didn't have that work ethic because what, something that was so easy to them for so long, why would they ever need to work at it? Why would they ever need to perfect that and, and get better in their minds? And, and this is true in the athletic world. This is, also, this is true across the board. There are musicians that you know, people who for whatever reason, they just have a knack. Like they can hear a tune and they can pick up a guitar and they can play that tune. They can hear a tune, play it on the piano. And, and you see the talent that they have. And while they would like to, maybe one day they had dreamed of becoming a professional musician. But for whatever reason, they, they just lack the work ethic to do that. They lack the discipline to become great at it. And if you know people who, who write really well, you know some people who are great writers and great storytellers, and that, that, even that art takes some dedication. Even that, that field is a grind to dedicate yourself to the grind of writing. So we, we know people who have great talent and for whatever reason have squandered it at some point along the way. Okay, and I want you to think about people who, maybe you hear stories of people who have won the lottery or they've gotten just this unexpected inheritance that they had this uncle that they that they didn't even know of left them a cool million dollars right life-changing money for them okay they can they can finally get out of debt uh, they can send their kids to school they can uh, they can pay off some of the medical bills they can finally replace that old junker that they've been driving around for so long 
Um, all, they, it, just, it just creates a lot of options for them, but there's so many stories like that where the people decide, well, I want to buy a tiger and a helicopter. You know, like they, they spend their money that way and they end up squandering it, right? This is true for, for athletics, for musicians, all of these different things. And so you, you look at some of our entertainers, right? Some of, some of the great actors, some of the, the television shows that they make, the movies they make, there are... There are actors that we just love to watch what they do. We love to watch them work, but for whatever reason, the lifestyle, the lifestyle choices they make, the substances that they choose to abuse robs us okay, of some of the talent that they offer this world. I think of uh, someone like Heath Ledger who portrayed the Joker in The Dark Knight and just how talented he was. His life was cut short okay, by some of the decisions that he made. I think of Robin Williams who made so many of us laugh Brought, such, brought so much joy to the world, but just fought demons of his own. Right? Musicians like Kurt Cobain, uh, Whitney Houston, the list goes on and on. These people that were so incredibly talented that, that their life was cut short for whatever reason. I know there's people that you know. Maybe they're not dead. Maybe they're still very much alive. But, but you look at them and you look at their life. And you see how God has blessed them. You see how God has made them talented and given them, uh, given them so many gifts. And you look at them and you just think to yourself, man, if they, would just, if they would just follow the Lord, if they would just fall in love with Jesus and live out this plan that God has for their life, just imagine how great their life would be and just their life would be so different. And people often have the same reaction when we are introduced and when they read about the character of Samson. They think, wow, what, what gifts, what ability, what strength, um, what potential does Samson have? Samson is the Mr. Incredible, right, of the biblical age, right? There, there's no one else in the Bible apart from Jesus that, that could ever come close to being a, a comic book character or a superhero. Uh, just Samson known for his brutish strength, um, the envy of every young boy and every man, right? I mean, to, to every child up until the point where they're five, their dad is Samson, right? Their, their dad is the one who can pry batteries out of devices, right? Their dad is the one who can open jars and lift bags of concrete and uh, dig holes and all those sorts of things. And I recently had a conversation with one of my kids and they told me that, yeah, dad, when I was little, like I used to think that you were just really big and now that I'm older, you know, it's kind of average size. And I said, that's great. Eat your nuggets, okay? But, but Samson, Samson is our focal point for today. And, and we're going to spend today and a little bit next week talking about Samson. And, and as we get into that, uh, we are, if, if you're joining us for the first time, we're in a series called Their Own Eyes, and it's based on the book of Judges. And judges are men and women ordained by God, called by God, to, to lead God's people out of oppression, out of the captivity that their enemies have put them under, okay? And what we've talked about week after week is that God's people are caught in this cycle, okay? And you've seen me put up this graphic of, of this, uh, this cycle, is that God's people, they're, they're tracking along with God, they're at peace with God, they have this harmonious relationship with Him. But over time, their eyes begin to get caught by, by other idols. They look at these people groups that they're living amongst, and they, they, they want to start worshiping the God over here, and they start mixing the one true God 
with pagan worship, with pagan gods. And so um, what happens is that every time they worship a god of that people group, if they worship the god of the Philistines, they become oppressed by the Philistines. If they worship the god of the Midianites, they become oppressed by the Midianites. And so while living in that oppression, okay, while they're having to pay tribute and they're losing all that they own, they cry out to God in repentance. God, help us. God, save us. If you are with us, do something. And so what God will do is when they cry out, he sends a deliverer. He sends a judge. He sends Ehud. He sends Gideon. He sends Othniel. He sends Deborah to lead God's people out of that captivity, which leads the people back into the presence of God, community with God, harmony, peace with God, which again sets the cycle all over again. And so this is, this is the cycle. And, and what's the phrase that we've said over and over again? The people did what was right in their own eyes. You got it, okay? So they chose to do, they chose what's good. They chose what's evil. They chose what's right. Very much like our world does today. Uh, there, there's much of our culture that decides what is good, what is true, and what is right. And if we change the definition of sin in 2023, we can really make up the rules as we go. Right? And this, this is true on, on an individual scale, and this is true in, in the scale of large countries. Like when we think about what happens when large groups of people make the decision to do what's right in their own eyes, you have Nazi Germany, you have uh, Stalin Soviet Union, you have Mao's China. Like we, we don't always think, and we always kind of tend to stop and think, man, there's no way that, that that much evil could prevail. There's no way that it could get that out of hand. Historically, it has, right? So on a large scale, when people choose to do what's right in their own eyes, there's no, there's no question, okay? There's no, there's no limit to how much evil is capable of. Okay, so that's what happens on a large scale. But on an individual scale, when we do what's right in our own eyes, uh, this is very much the, the attitude that, and a lot of things that you hear people say, like, be true to yourself, right? Live out your own truth. You do you, boo-boo. Anybody ever heard that one? Right? Lee, you say that one a lot? Okay. Okay, I'm going to go get mine. All right, there is no I in team, but there's a me. Right? It's, the, it's this kind of mindset, this mindset of do what's right in your own eyes, that rejects what is right in the eyes of God. Okay, so um, back to Samson, back to Samson. So we meet Samson, or we, we open up the story in Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13, verse 1. And it says this, And the people of Israel, again, turn to the person next to you and say, Again, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. We are starting this cycle all over again in the book of Judges. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And so what God does is he gives them exactly what they want. He gives them exactly what they want. They live their life separate from him, and he's, he is going to give them a life without him. And this concept works with you and I as well. If we choose a life separate from God, we will experience that both here and in the life to come. And now some people, some people badmouth God and say, how could God ever be loving if he sends anyone to hell? And what he does is, is that he gives people in the next life what they choose in this one, either a life with him or a life without him, right? So 40 years, 
being oppressed for 40 years while under this oppression. 40 years is a long time. This is probably the longest stretch of oppression we have seen so far in the book of Judges. We meet a man named Manoah, and he has a wife who is barren. She is unable to have children. And an angel of the Lord comes to his wife and tells her that though she is barren, though she is without child, she will conceive and bear a son. And the angel also tells her that he is to be a Nazarite from birth. Now, what, what is a Nazarite? What does that mean? Now, this is a vow that you can read about in Numbers chapter 6. You can go look at this later. But this is, a, this is in Numbers chapter 6, and it's basically the Nazarite vow was intended to be something that is temporary and voluntary, right? And this is, in the Old Testament, this is a way that a person could, could separate themselves to the Lord. Like if they wanted to draw themselves into the Lord and, and really try to hear what the Lord is saying, uh, they would consi- it basically consisted of abstaining from three different things. Uh, one of them uh, was abstaining from anything that came from the vine. So that, that's mainly going to be alcohol. There's some other things that you would abstain from, but that's what it's talking about there. Uh, the second thing is abstain from cutting your hair, okay? And the third thing is abstain from coming into contact with dead bodies. These are things that you uh, would basically abstain from, that you would fast from. And a, g- a great way to view it today is, th- is that this would be like a fast, that you normally, for us, if we choose to fast, uh, we, it would be for a predetermined amount of time. We would fast from food. We wouldn't eat food for a while. Maybe we would drink water, um, especially around Lent. Anybody ever give up anything for Lent, the season of Lent? Okay, a few people. Um, sometimes people give up drinking coffee. They'll fast from coffee. They'll fast from social media. Um, but this, this vow was to be taken by choice. And some of these things I understand abstaining from because some of us, we like to kick back. We like to have a Michelob Ultra from time to time. We like to have an old Milwaukee or a glass of wine. I understand that part. Even the second one, okay, cutting our hair, fellas, we, we like it trimmed up nice from time to time. Ladies, you want to you get it colored, right? You want to tease it. You want to curl it, all that. I get it. But the last one, right, coming into contact with dead bodies, that's just sort of one of those that's not necessary. Like I just, I've never met the guy that just has a knack for wanting to be around dead bodies. Um, so no, no weekend at Bernie's or anything like that, okay? So just leave, leave that alone. But, um, but this, is, this is the Nazarite vow. This is the things that you should, should abstain from. And again, these are designed to be temporary and voluntary for a person to take this vow. But the angel gives Samson's mom very specific instructions that Samson is to live this way his entire life, okay? From his, from his birth, he is to be a Nazarite. And the angel of the Lord adds, adds this in verse 5. He says, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines." And so God's about to do something here that we haven't seen so far in the book of Judges. He's going to raise up a judge before he's ever been born. Okay, because if you th- think about that with the, all the others, when, when he called Gideon, when he called Ehud, when he called all of these other people, they were very much grown. They were very much established in their community. But God calls Samson before he is ever born. And he is going to bring salvation to his people through the birth of Samson. And there's one thing that we also don't see. Not only is this different, not only is this different in the life of Samson, but there's something in the story 
if you read through that's missing from the others. Right? If you could put our cycle back up. There's something missing from here that the people are living in oppression for 40 years. In this story, we see no cry for help. We see no repentance. We see no longing for God's presence. We see no broken hearts. We, we see none of that. There is no repenting. There is no cry for help like there was with Gideon, like there was with Deborah, like there was with Othniel and Ehud. But God, in his mercy, sends Samson anyways. God, in his grace, sends a savior to his people. So before Samson is a grown man, before he ever uh, defeated his first enemy, before he discovered the strength that he had, okay, before he was doing uh, butterfly curls, plyometric push-ups, uh, before, I don't know if he would have been a crossfitter or not, uh, before Samson could walk, before Samson could crawl, before Samson could cry, before he was born, even before Samson was conceived, God had a purpose for his life. Established very early on. So God set him apart with a purpose. And as we go through today and as we continue into next week, um, you're going to hear about us. You're going to hear us talk about uh, just the talent and the ability that God gave to Samson, just the favor that he has over his life. And, and as we read and as we get into this, you will also discover that while he, is in, while he has much favor, he also is incredibly flawed, makes terrible decisions. Like you'll read through this and wonder like, dude, why have you not learned your lesson yet? Why are you not changing your behavior here yet? But despite all of that, you'll, just, you'll learn that while Samson is given a purpose by God, he is incredibly flawed but he is also incredibly chosen, right? And those go hand in hand, and every single life that enters into a womb has a purpose. This is not unique to Samson. So that when, when a person is ever considering an abortion, they are choosing not only to end a life, but they're choosing to end a purpose as well, right? And the prophet Jeremiah doubles down on this because God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, he says, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Right? Before, you, before you were any substance, before you were a clump of cells, Jeremiah, I knew you and I saw you. Okay? Jeremiah, before your daddy winked at your mama, I knew you and I saw you. Right? That makes some of them feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? <laughs> God knew Samson. God knew Jeremiah. God knew you. God knows me. Before we were ever born, before we were ever consumed, you may feel as if you were unplanned, but God had a plan for you. You may feel as if your life was a very unexpected one. It's like, Mom, Dad, why, why is there a 10-year gap between me and my siblings? Well, it's no surprise to God. God knows what he's doing. And, and there's a lot of times it's hard for us to believe that. And we often get discouraged, don't we? Because there are times that we don't feel worthy of his love. There are times that we don't feel like we are adequate enough to be used by God. And even the times that we do feel that way, we feel like somewhere along the way we have made decisions that we have sinned somehow uh, to void the purpose that God has given us, that we feel like we have disqualified ourselves in some way. And, and God, God knew us before we ever entered our mother's womb and that God has a purpose for you, that God has a purpose for me. And, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is pressing us to find that purpose. The Spirit of God is moving us 
daily towards that purpose because that's exactly what he does in the life of Samson, okay? Verse 24, okay? What we're doing is we're skipping ahead a good bit. We jump from verse 5 to verse 24. There's a lot of dialogue in there between Manoah and his wife and the angel. Just a lot of debate of, is this what you want me to do? Yes, this is what I want you to do. So go back and read that if you want to. But this is what happens, verse 24. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in this particular region that they are living. And so I love the, the imagery because when you stir something, it changes everything, doesn't it? I don't know how many of you make soup on a regular basis, but when you dump ingredients into a pot of soup, it kind of sometimes it looks like leftovers that are just dumped into a pot. And there are some soups that I've eaten that looks like it should be fed to pigs. Like it does not look appetizing, but when you actually eat it, it's pretty good, right? Right, but when you stir those ingredients together, it, it changes something. It changes um, what, the intent of that soup. And, and we're not too different. Like we're all, like we as individuals, you are all a collection of personalities, of talents, and of life experiences. Don't we all have different personalities in here? We sure do, right? But for better or for worse. But all the, all the collection, all the personalities that make us, all the talents right, that we have, and all the things that have ever happened to us, whether uh, they, they be joyful experiences or where they be, whether they be traumatic events, okay, the Holy Spirit can stir all of those things together in us to reveal His purpose for our lives, okay, this is true of you, this is true of me, and this is true in the case of Samson, and so when, when God's people were far from Him, Okay, been far from him for a long time. The text says 40 years. No repentance, no cry for help, no, no heart that grieves the absence of God or, or longs for the presence of God. None of those things. In the absence of all of those things, God sends help. And God declares the help by foretelling the birth of a baby boy. Now, am I talking about Samson or am I talking about Jesus? The answer is yes. So what you'll find, especially as we finish next week, is that there's, there's no one in the Bible that has more of a Christ-like beginning and end, like birth and death, than Samson. Okay, both have their births foretold uh, to help people who have not repented. Both will give their lives to defeat evil and set captives free. But if you know anything about the life of Jesus and the life of Samson, you know that their lives are incredibly different, which we'll get into next week. So what I want us to do now is I want to invite you just, just to bow your heads. And I, I want us just for a moment, as we hear what God is doing by sending Samson, by sending this hero, by sending this, what we know as a temporary savior, we can really just sit under the grace and sit under the mercy of how God has done that very thing in the person of Christ for us. God extends his grace to Israel through Samson. They didn't cry out to God in repentance for their sin, but God sent help anyways. God gives us that very same grace. He extends that to us today and invites us to experience that in the person of Jesus. And so God, God, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for that. We, we thank you that like the Israelites, you sent help when we didn't ask for it. 
when we didn't comprehend it, when we at times would have rejected it. You did it anyways because you love us. But you don't just love us and let us be, but you give us a calling, you give us a purpose, you give us a vision for our life, and it's, it's there before we were ever born. God, may we think of your grace today, may we reflect on it throughout our week, and may the Holy Spirit stir us to bring out the purpose that you have for our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.